0: Standing on the platform of truth. Pioneer Health and Missions. What I want to talk about and share on today is heresy. How many here are familiar with heresy? How many here have heard heresy? I would hope everybody's hands go up. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 20, Jesus tells us that we shall know them how? And what are we to know? What is meant by them? We are to know them. Who are we to know by their fruits? What's that? Those who call themselves Christians. All right. I would agree with that. Jesus speaking of trees. Trees bear fruit. The tree families, the bushes, we know that they bear fruit. And we know what kind of tree it is by the fruit it bears, don't we? So with people, we could limit it to any one class of men. But men in general, we know them by the fruit that they bear, don't we? Ought we not to know heresy? We recognize apples, we recognize oranges, we recognize all these different fruits. But do we recognize heresy? question. And the question is, where do we draw the line? A line distinguishes things, it divides things, right? We want to know where to draw the line. How to recognize heresy, what is it? Well, to begin, here's a statement, a definition from one of the most well-known dictionary writers of the 19th century. His name was Noah Webster. In defining heresy he says it is a fundamental error in religion, or an error of opinion respecting some fundamental doctrine of religion. The scriptures being the standard of faith, any opinion that is repugnant to its doctrines is what? Heresy. Now here comes a difficulty. As men differ in their interpretation of scripture, an opinion deemed heretical by one body of Christians may be deemed orthodox another. So we have the scripture, don't we? Yes, we do. All Christians have the scripture, don't they? Why so many denominations? Why are we so divided? Different interpretations. We all have the same words, but the problem is how we interpret them, how we understand them. Our opinions on those scriptures are what create Heresy And heresy is what divides. Interestingly enough, the word heresy in the Bible is, is a number of times translated sect. A heresy is a sect. It's what divides. We have sects in the world. They're called denominations. And they're divided according to their opinions on the scriptures. So what is heresy? Well, here we kind of have a basic definition. But the word itself the word heresy is an English, which is a transliteration of the Greek word hiero, which literally means to choose. That's what the word heresy means. It's a choice that we make. The choices that we make are really what define heresy. How do we handle this? What choices do we make in regard to what it says will determine whether our opinion is truth. Harrison. Here's a thought. This is taken from the book called Christ Object Lessons. It's on page 56, the first paragraph. I want you to notice these words. It says, If the word of God fails of accomplishing its work in our hearts and lives, the reason is to be found where? In ourselves. Do we see Christians failing to live out the principles that are in their hearts, in their lives. Failing to live out the principles of truth that they have known from childhood. Do we see that in the world? Do we see it in ourselves? Sometimes we fail of living up to what we know. What is the reason? Is, Is there a fault in the word of God? No. Then the fault must lie where? with us. See, the key is self-examination. Continuing, the author says, but the result is not beyond our control. True, we cannot change ourselves, and everyone who's tried can testify to the truth of that statement. No matter how hard we try, we can't do it of ourselves. There must be a higher power. There must be something outside of us that is brought into us, that changes us, that gives power to effect the change. We cannot change ourselves, but the power of choice is ours. power of what? Choice. Choice. What is heresy? It's a choice. The power of choice is ours, and it rests with us. With whom? With us to determine what we will become. So do you, is, the, is this author here teaching predestination? No. The author is teaching the exact opposite. What we will become is determined by our choice, we are told. What we become will be the result of our choices. Do we become an heretic, or do we become someone who is faithful to the word of God? That's the question. And we want to find out where to draw the line Where to distinguish How to recognize the fruit Turn with me first to Galatians chapter 5 Verses 19 21 It says, now the works of the What's that word? The flesh Are manifest or revealed. Which are these? Adultery Fornication, uncleanness Lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance or differences, emulations, envy, wrath, strife, seditions, and what? Heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, says Paul. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Good company to keep? No. no. So, heresy in the light of the word of God is something that is akin to these practices. Idolatry, witchcraft, fornication, theft, murder, all of these things. Heresy isn't a companion of them. They go together. So, when we look at heresy, do we look at it as a good thing or a bad thing? Naturally. Whenever you hear the word heresy, you usually are on the defensive, because we know it's a bad thing. But remember that we often become like the company we keep. Notice also 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 16 to 20. Peter is here speaking, trying to encourage the brethren that the things that we have preached were not the devisings of men. We didn't make these things up when we made note unto you the power and glory of Christ's return. So these things were not man-made fables, were they? But notice verse 19. We have also a what? More sure word of prophecy. So there's something even more sure than these men's testimony. What does Peter point us to? Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Numbers 20. Knowing this first that no prophecy of the So what prophecy is referring to? The scripture is of any what? What do we call a private interpretation? We call it heresy. (laughs) That's exactly what private interpretation is, beloved. When we choose to hang on to our own personal idea about what something says or means, that the Bible calls heresy. It's a private interpretation. Well, I understand it this way. And if our opinion is repugnant to the scriptures, as Noah Webster says, that is heresy. Call it what you like. But we have a more sure word that we do well to take heed unto, as a light that shineth in a dark place. And if we will take heed into that, that light will grow in us. And that's what God wants. He doesn't want us to hang on to our own ideas. He wants us to take his word as bread. You know what happens to bread when you eat it? It digests, doesn't it? What happens when it digests? That bread you eat. Now science will verify this, and so will the spirit prophecy. The bread you eat becomes your blood. You know what it says in Leviticus about blood? What's in the blood? The life. life. If you eat the word of God, the promise is it will become your blood. Jesus said, My flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. If we will take in the words of Christ, just as we take in our bread, the promise is it will become our life. And that's what God wants. That is the only safeguard against heresy. Notice Proverbs 14, verse 12. The word of God says something that should cause every one of us to sit up and pay attention. It says, there is a way that what? Seemeth "Seemeth right right unto a man, but the end thereof, the end of that path, is what? Death. You know, sometimes when we Think we know best? The Bible says the end of that way is death. There's a way that seems right unto me. It may seem right unto us to read the Bible and understand it this way. But God's word to you is, that path is death. Don't go there. That is the path of private interpretation. It is the path of heresy. And it will lead you to steal. It will lead you to fornication. It will lead you to murder. And commit adultery. And every other wicked deed. Because it's the pathway of infidelity. It's the beginning of it. Now. Here I kind of painted it. Out. It's called the path of death, and I wanted to lay it out in a linear form. What leads to what, when we think of death? And here I've just kind of given a step-by-step process. As best as I have been able to understand it from the Word of God. These things begin through our senses, don't they? We hear something, we see something, we taste something whatever it may be, that causes us to question. That question leads to suspicion. Now, what's the difference between a question and suspicion? You know what it means to be suspicious? It's to impute bad motives to something. It's to impute evil to something. That's called suspicion. Sometimes, somebody does something, and we become a little suspicious. Right? Right? We think there might be an impure motive behind what was done. That's called suspicion. And it follows questioning. The moment we begin to question something, the next step is suspicion. We begin to impugn bad motives to it. That leads to doubt. And doubt will lead to unbelief. Now, unbelief in the Bible, if you don't believe me, do a comparison. Look up the word unbelief or not believe its equivalent phrases, and then look up disobedience, and you'll find they're often synonymous. Doubt leads to unbelief or disobedience, and that leads to death. And if you don't believe me, you can read if you want to, write it down as reference. Romans 5.19, good example. You can also look at Romans 5.12, we kind of go hand in hand. So here we see the path of death Where it begins and where it leads Turn with me to James chapter 1 I want to get Some Bible text To look at in consideration of this Because we're trying to understand Heresy and recognize it by its fruit James chapter 1 We're going to read verse 6 In verse 5 James says If any man lacketh what? wisdom, let him ask of God, the gives to all men, will how? Liberally, and upbraideth not. God knows we are ignorant. He's waiting for us to ask. And God is willing and wanting to give to us that which we need. And he's not going to upbraid us, or chastise us, or make us feel bad for asking him, because that's what he wants, just like a good parent. When our child comes to us seeking wisdom and guidance and direction, we're not going to chastise them if we love them. We're going to point them in the right path. And so is God toward us. But notice, let's look at the last part of verse 6. But let him ask in what? Nothing wavering. Now that word wavering is important. We'll come to it in just a second. For he that wavereth is like a what? Wave of the sea. What happens to the sea by the wind? Whichever way the wind blows is the way the sea goes, right? Exactly. We're like a wave tossed by the wind. If we do not have faith in the word of God, we are like that unstable man. That whichever direction the wind blows, we will go. And God warns us against this. He calls it wavering. Now that word wavering is an interesting word in the original. It has a, a good meaning and it has a bad meaning. It's the word diacrino, if you want to look it up, if you're interested. In a good sense, it means discernment or judging. Someone who is able to discern something, to recognize. It's a way we perceive our world. We need to have judgment, don't we? If we're walking into a dangerous situation, we want discernment, to know and recognize the danger. So, in that sense it is good. But notice 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7 and together with that chapter 6 verse 5. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's look at the first second. Because the same word, diakrino, is here used in these verses First chapter 4 Verse 7 1 Corinthians 4 7 Says For who maketh thee to differ from another I'm going to stop there That word differs The same Greek word And here it's translated To make a difference Or literally to see a difference We look at two things And we can perceive difference between them This is the word diakrino. But when it comes to the word of God, and we look at two scriptures, and we see contrast, we see contradiction, we put a difference between them, God calls that doubt. Doubt. You see, when we put disharmony in the word of God, when we bring contrast to it, and contradiction, that's putting a difference We're saying, oh, the Bible isn't saying the same thing here, that it's saying here. We're putting a difference, a man-made difference. That the Bible calls doubt or heresy. And in chapter 6, verse 5, we have the same verb used. It says, I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. And that verb phrase, judge between, is the same verb. It's translated from the same verb. Diakrino. To judge between two things. When we try to discern difference in the word of God, or in different parts of the Bible, say, dividing the Old Testament from the New Testament, the Old Covenant from the New Covenant, When we put contradictions there that ought not to be there, that is doubt. It causes a man to waver. Notice Romans 14, verse 1. We're also going to read verse 23. It says, him that is weak in the faith, receive ye. And often we like to take in guests into our home, especially those that are new converts, new to the faith. But, said the Apostle and here comes the but. But, not to what? Doubtful disputations. Now that word, doubtful, is this same verb and in a noun form. Doubtful. What kind of disputations? Doubtful. Don't sow doubt into his mind. When you invite your brother to eat, don't throw out things in a doubtful way to him. Don't get involved in disputation that will lead to doubt. And not encouragement. And establish them in the faith. And often we do this. We'll bring up subjects. And we'll present them in such a way. That we cause doubt. In the mind of the person. We unsettle them. In the truth. Rather than settle them in the truth. Now notice verse 23. Because I want to tie this in. Same word is used. Verse 23. The last verse of chapter 14. It says. And he that what? Same verb, he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. He's put a difference you see. To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin, because it's not of faith. Faith is obedience. Faith is doing and believing the word of God. You see, when we put a difference in these things, it leads us to doubt, which leads us to unbelief. And this is the connotation of heresy. Where does heresy lead? Well, we saw where it led. It leads to death. And the Bible is giving us plenty of evidence to prove it. Here's another statement. This is taken from the periodical, The Signs of the Times... 1886, it's December 30th edition, it's in paragraph 6, here the author says, there is always sufficient evidence upon which to base an intelligent faith, what kind of faith? Does God want us to have a blind faith? No, he wants us to have an intelligent faith, based upon evidence, doesn't he? What does 2 Timothy 2.15 tell us? That's right. We're admonished to study to show ourselves approved unto God. God wants us to study. When a subject matter is presented to us, the obligation now rests upon us to study for ourselves, to know, and to base our faith upon an intelligent understanding of the Word of God. And we are told that there is always sufficient evidence. How long? How often? Always. Continues. But God will never remove from any man all occasion, another strong word, all occasion for doubts. God will what? Never remove from any man all occasion for doubts. Does he remove some? Sure, God may remove some, but will he remove all? Never. There are things in this world that will cause us, that can cause us to doubt. There are even things in the Word of God which have a seeming contradiction to them. I say seeming. Things which, if we are inclined, will lead us to doubt. But God will never remove them. He has not even removed them from his word. God wants us to have an intelligent faith. The writer continues, He who turns does what? Turns from the weight of evidence because there are a few things that he cannot make plain to his finite understanding will be left to the cold, chilling atmosphere of unbelief and skepticism and will make shipwreck of things. See, there might be a few things in the word of God that we can't reconcile with the multitude of the other things that are clear, but do we hang our doubt upon those few things? If we do, we will be left to the cold, chilling atmosphere of unbelief and skepticism, and we will make shipwreck of our faith. Now that is a prophecy, I believe, and I've seen it fulfilled in many lives. Even in my own short lifetime, I've seen people go down that road. We turn from the weight of evidence. Just because we cannot reconcile a few statements in the word of God or in the spirit of prophecy with the multitudes of other things, we hang our doubts upon those few. And the promise is, that way will lead you to death. Because that is private interpretation. That is heresy. This is taken from the fourth volume of the Spirit of Prophecy page 349. And I've highlighted this first phrase or clause because I want us to pay close attention to it. Notice, there is, what's that word? In even, In even what's the next word? Once. once giving expression to what? doubt. There is danger to even once giving expression to doubt. Now, what does it mean to give expression to doubt? To express it in some way. Maybe on our countenance, but especially in our words. There is danger. Even doing this once. Well, what's the danger? It says, a seed is sown. Where? In the heart of those that hear us. A seed is sown which produces a harvest of its kind. Now, what kind of seed was it? Doubt. And it produces a harvest. Now, when you sow one seed of wheat, does it produce one seed? It produces a head full of seeds. Remember that. It produces a crop or a harvest of its kind in those that hear us. continuing. Satan will nourish the crop every moment. Satan, he's a, he's a good farmer. He encourages us to speak those words, and then he goes about cultivating wherever it's been sown. And he does this day and night without rest. Not a moment goes by that Satan is not cultivating the crop that he has sown. The author continues... Those who allow themselves to talk of their doubts will find them constantly becoming more confirmed. God will never remove every occasion for doubt. He will never work a miracle to remove unbelief when he has given sufficient evidence for faith. Often we say, oh oh Lord, I'm struggling with this. We're struggling with this thing, with this idea, with this doubt in our mind. What do we do with it? We're pleading for God to work some miracle to take it away. But where does it lie? Heresy is a choice. Faith is a choice. We must choose to give it up. We can't simply ask God to take something that we are not willing to give. God will never work that miracle, you see. If we don't give it to him, God cannot take it. He won't work a miracle to take it. We must give our doubts to God. Because there is sufficient evidence for everything God has asked us to believe. And again, simple statement. When you are tempted, at what point? The point temptation comes when temptation comes, or when you are tempted to give expression to doubt or to speak your mind, restrain your words. Now, this I want to quote to you, and normally I would not. This was from a personal letter that this author, Sister White, wrote to a man. And this man was struggling with the same things with doubt, with suspicion. His mind was overcome with these things. And in a letter to him, she says these words. I beg of you to keep your doubts, your questionings, your skepticism to yourself. Now, where do we draw the line? I'm going to stop there for a moment. Where do we draw the line? There's a line that must be drawn. We may have questions. We may even have doubts in our mind. But as long as it remains in our mind, God can deal with it. God can deal with that. But the moment we give expression to it, and we sow that seed broadcast, now we have caused worse trouble. Much worse. You see, there's a line that must be drawn, that we must understand. God is pleading with us. Yes, he knows we have doubts. He knows we have difficulties with certain things. But he's pleading with us. Hold them to yourself. Give me time. Be patient. All things will work out in your mind and heart if you will but believe. Be patient and restrain your words. The author continues. When you breathe out your dark thoughts and feelings, Satan stands ready to make these thoughts and feelings so intensely powerful in their deceptive character that many souls will be deceived and the breath of doubt, of complaint, and unbelief is what? It's like a disease. Once breathed out, it's like Pandora's box. You ever heard that myth in the Greek myths? about this box that contained all the troubles of the world, and it was never to be opened, because once it's opened, it could never be closed. And this is the way it is with doubt. Doubts arise. We have difficulties, questions in our mind, but as long as we are patient and willing for God to work out the difficulty, God will fulfill His promise. But the moment we open up our mouths, to sow doubt into the minds of others, we've opened Pandora's box. It can't be shut. And now, all those that are lost because of your words will be blood on you. Mm. Mm. Second testimony, second volume of the testimonies, page 305. When the lust of the flesh controls a man, and the evil passions of the carnal nature are permitted to rule... What's that verb? Permitted or allowed. When our carnal passions are permitted to rule, skepticism in regard to the realities of the Christian religion is what? Encouraged. And doubts are expressed as though it were a special virtue to doubt. Where does it come from? Where do doubts come from? They come from a carnal heart. An unrestrained part. See, the danger is when the restraint is l- released, when we give way to these things, these feelings, and we vent them on others, then the line in the sand is drawn. Now it becomes heresy. It's one thing to hold it in our mind, but we are now beginning to see what happens when we give expression. some of you may be familiar with some of these men. All of these men, there's a common thread to their life experience. I'll name all of them. Beginning in the left, you have O. R. L. Crozier, Dudley Marvin Canwright, yeah. Ludwig Richard Canradi, Albion Fox Ballinger, and Desmond Ford. Yeah. All of these men have a common threat, something which ties them all together. And it's found in James chapter 1, verse 8. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That word double-minded literally means, in the Greek, to be of two feelings. Do you know what happened to Adam when he saw Eve coming to him with that forbidden fruit? There was conflict. There were now two feelings warring in him. He became double-minded. And he minded the flesh, rather than minding God. A double-minded man, says James, is unstable in all his ways. What is the common thread in all these men? Instability. Double-minded. They all entertained doubts regarding the Word of God and the truth, and all of them left the faith. In James chapter 4, verse 8, again, this same word is used. We are told, draw nigh to God, and He will what? Draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. What must the double-minded do? Cleanse their hearts. Purify the heart. What is the problem of a double-minded man? It's the heart. It's not the word of God. It's not the things that we perceive them to be. The real problem is with us. It's something in us. And so, we must draw nigh to God. Allow him to work out that which is troubling us. Trust him. Trust him. God forbid we should open our mouths in such a condition. Now I want to finish this section before we conclude with these thoughts. Some are not naturally devotional. They are often heard talking of what? What causes us to lose our devotional life? Doubt. And more than just doubt, doesn't is Isn't it? Notice, they are often heard what? Talking. Expressing their doubts and belief. They dwell upon discouraging influences. As to make it a special virtue to be found on the side of what? Doubting. Have you ever seen that spirit in the world? Yeah, where it's a special virtue to be skeptical about something. They make it a special virtue, you see. And the one thing you can know something has happened to in this individual. Something has happened in them. What has happened? She goes on to say it is separation from Christ that brings doubt. This world. What causes doubt in our minds? When we when we separate from God. That's when doubt arises. That's when things like this come and trouble us. So what is the solution? Again, we are told, they, speaking of these same individuals, have not separated themselves from all selfishness and from sin and sinners. You see, what must t- take place? We, like the dove, have chosen to associate ourselves with sin and sinners. And the result is, we separate from Christ. Doubt comes in. It is entertained. And the result is death. Spiritual shipwreck. Shipwreck of our faith. And shipwreck of the life. And in the last paragraph here, page 514, it says, No greater evidence need be asked that a person is at a great distance from Jesus and living in neglect of secret prayer, neglecting personal piety, than the fact that he thus talks doubts, and unbelief, because his surroundings are not favorable. What's the greatest evidence? When we see a person speaking their doubts, and their unbelief regarding the word of God, know that that person has separated themselves from Christ. The moment they begin to express doubt about, well, maybe the Bible really doesn't mean this, know that that person has separated themselves from God. And we are told they have a religion of circumstance. So long as things are good, they can have a good appearance of being a Christian but the moment trial and difficulty comes especially in the word of god when we're persecuted for our faith and believe what happens to these stony ground here <clears throat> circumstance wins out as sister carol was sharing in the health nugget stress is not so much about our circumstances it's about what we do with our circumstances What we do about our circumstances is the determining factor, you see. And if we allow our circumstances to master us, we have a religion of circumstance, and we will be filled with doubt and skepticism. Turn with me to Titus 3, verses 10 to 11. How are we to handle heresy and heretics in the church? The admonition is given us by the Apostle Paul thus A man that is an heretic, what does it mean to be a heretic? Someone who steadfastly holds to their own opinion, right? When clear evidence is presented. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition, what? Reject. So we're to go to that brother or sister. We're to present the truth, not once. But twice. Mm -hmm. And if the second time they refuse to receive it, they are to be what? Rejected. Rejected. Have no more to do with that individual. He continues, knowing, knowing, is there any uncertainty in knowing? No. No. Knowing that he that is such, that is, he that is an heretic, is subverted and sinneth, There is sin in that man's life, or that woman's life. Know this of a certainty. They are subverted by sin. Being condemned of himself. There's something in their life that they have not relinquished to God, and it is causing them to separate from God, which is bringing up their doubts, their skepticism. And when we see this condition in an individual, the admonition is that we are to go to them, Present the truth, plead for them as Abel did with Cain. And that may mean you die. Abel was willing, he knew that he might die. But he stood fearlessly. He loved his brother, he pled with him. And the result was that he died. And we are to have that same spirit, that same Love. We must be willing to plead, even at personal sacrifice, even at personal loss. We must be willing. Even if it means our character reputation is blackened, because that person turns on us and slanders us, reproaches us. Are we willing to suffer that for the sake of that brother's soul? That will determine true Christianity. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19. Now this verse, when I first read it, caused question in my mind. It seemed like a hard thing. For there must be also heresies among you, says Paul. That they which are approved may be made manifest among you that sound hard? You mean God says there must be heresies among his people? That seems like a hard thing to me. But God promises that it will have a good result, because it will lead those who love God to search out the answer for themselves. It will lead them in love to plead with their brethren. It will cause perfection of character in them. God allows heresy, because he knows it will work for the good of them that love him, who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good, if we are willing to believe. And heresy is one of those things that will come, and has come. It's here. The question is, how are we going to deal with it? What is it going to do for us? Are we going to be swayed? by men or are we going to be swayed by the word of God Second Timothy 2.15 we've already quoted that one and this is what it leads us to do I hope we all have this verse memorized Paul speaking to his young son in the faith he says study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed Rightly dividing the word of truth. And this is what God intends that heresy should work in us. A diligent and sincere desire. An unremitting desire. To know the truth for ourselves. Because the moment that fire goes out. It's the beginning of heresy. We must have a love for the truth. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul says that those that are deceived by the power of Antichrist, the man of sin, is because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Love for truth will conquer if it is perseveringly adhered to. If we will persevere through our difficulties, through our questions, through our trials, we are promised victory. And we persevere by faith. Not in our own strength. Now I want to conclude. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 20. Do we have a teaching of righteousness by faith? Of the righteousness of faith in the Old Testament? Many, many. I want to point out just one here. 2 Chronicles 20, 20. says... And they, that is, those of Judah, with their king, rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. Now here they were going forth to meet their enemies. Those that had come seeking the destruction of Judah and Jerusalem had come. And they and their king went forth into the wilderness. And as they went forth, King Jehoshaphat spoke to the children of Israel these words that should ring in our ears today. He says, Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. Why would he say this? Because God had prophesied that they need not fear but their enemies would be destroyed. And Jehoshaphat encouraging the people as they go forth to believe God. So shall you be established. Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. His encouragement was to believe. And my encouragement to us today is to believe. Believe God, despite the circumstances. Whatever is going on in your life, do not let those circumstances lead you to doubt God. Or his word, his truth. Because we are admonished in 1 Thessalonians 5 21 to do something very important. It's something, it's an obligation that lies on every Christian. We are told prove all things, hold fast that which is good. How much is to be proven? all things. Whatever you hear, whatever you see, whatever you taste, whatever you touch, whatever you smell, whatever you think, prove it. And only hold fast that which is good. And God promises you success in all things. If we are willing to follow his advice. And the last verse, Titus chapter 1, Verse 9, the Apostle Paul, writing to Titus, says, Holding fast the faithful word, as he hath been taught, that he may be able, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsakers. We must hold fast the things that we have been taught. Those things that are according to the word of God, that are according to truth, hold fast to them. Why? So that we may, says Paul to Titus, that we may be able by sound doctrine. What kind of doctrine? What does sound mean? There's no flaw in it. Something A sound foundation is one without crack. It is sound. Once a crack is there... Something could grow in it. But a sound doctrine is one that is flawless. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to be sound in doctrine for the reason that we may be able to exhort those that are in, that are standing off the platform, exhort those that are in error, exhort those that are discouraged and doubting. We may exhort them to return to faith. God wants to use us to reach out to those that are in error and in sin. And he admonishes us to do it with sound doctrine. Now, last question. Where do you draw the line? Where do I draw the line? That's the question I want to leave you with today in regard to heresy. Where are we going to draw the line? in regard to ourselves and our fellow man. Jesus said "You shall know them by their fruit. God wants us to know. He doesn't want us to be in uncertainty. He doesn't want us to be in doubt. He wants us to know and to act by that knowledge in faith. And if that's your desire, then I want to invite you to close with me in a word of prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Hallowed be Thy truth. Father, we we desire with all of our hearts to hold fast to that which we have been taught, to hold fast to the truth as it hath been delivered unto us in the sixty-six books of the Bible. Help us, Father, I pray. Increase Thou our faith. For I know that we are all weak and erring, but I too know that thy strength is made perfect in weakness. And Father, we want to lift up our weakness to thee, our frailty, our failures. Father, we want to commit ourselves to thy keeping. We want, Father, to be used of thee for good. We want our minds to be so settled in thy word That we are not led to doubt, but that we, Father, may be able to reach out to those that are in doubt. Help us, I pray, grant us strength and grace. Help us to know where we are to draw the line. Help us to understand heresy, not just in others, but in ourselves first. For as Jesus said, that if we cast not out the beam that is in our own eye, we will not be able to see clearly to take out the moat out of our brothers. So, Father, help us today, I pray, to take that beam out of our own eye, that we may be able to help in truth those that are in need. I bless thee and thank thee for thy word that thou hast given. Hide it in our hearts, I pray, in the blessed name of thy Son, Jesus, we ask, Standing on the platform of truth Pioneer Health and Missions